back when my wife Shannon and I were engaged, um, there was a period for about 14 weeks or three months where I was away doing an internship at a church. And during that time, I, I think I saw her once, maybe twice that entire time. And so uh, we're engaged. Like, I, I really, really miss her during this time. And, and you might be going like, well, what do you mean, like, you missed her? It wasn't, it can't be that bad. But like, things were different, even just like, 15 years ago, 14, 15 years ago, like I remember it's like you had to pay per text, like 10, 10 to 15 cents. So you got to make that text count if you're going to send it. Or um, we didn't have like data packages in our, our, our pockets where we could just send messages or FaceTime constantly. Shannon it was a late adopter. Like she didn't even come into Facebook until 2011. And so it's not like we could even be doing that. And, and so like we weren't communicating as much or as easily as you can today. And so I'd have to wait till like after 9 p.m. when my minutes were free to kind of give her that call. And so like I, I remember during that three-month period, like I, I'm just counting down the days and the weeks until we can be back together again. Now this morning we're kicking off our Advent series in Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bible. And I can imagine um, kind of what I described is how Mary and Joseph, the earthly parents of Jesus, are feeling at this time. They're engaged to be married. Your Bible might say betrothed, and it's like they're, they're engaged. They're going to be married. Um, but Mary's been away visiting her cousin Elizabeth for about three months. And Joseph, he's, again, probably counting down the days till Mary gets home, counting down the days till um, they'll, they'll come together. They'll be a husband and wife officially living under the same roof, just, jo- just waiting for uh, her to come back. But Mary finally comes home, but she's going to have some news to share with Joseph at this time. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, when we talk about the Christmas story, like maybe you've sat down and you've read the Christmas story out of a, a children's storybook um, or, or a Bible to your kids, and, and often even how it gets presented, it's like this neat package. It's clean. It just, it, it works so well. But think about the everyday circumstances that, that, that surround this. Like, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be messy. Because Mary has been away for three months, and she comes home, and she has news to share with Joseph that she's pregnant. Now, how's Joseph going to respond? Like, Mary, that is awesome. Congratulations. Bring it in. I can't believe you're pregnant. Like, Joseph is going to be devastated. He's going to be a wreck because like verse uh, 19 tells us that he's a righteous man. Like he and Mary have not been fooling around previous to marriage. Like they they haven't come together is what it says. And so he knows the baby is not his. And so here's his question to Mary. Like, who's the father? He's going to be broken by this. Now, have you ever asked a question to somebody and you get an explanation that just seems ridiculous? Where it's just like, I, I can't believe you'd even give that as an answer. And if you're a parent and you have children, um, you know this is what happens. Like, how, how did the lamp get broken? Well, just 
fell off the table by itself. Now, how, how did marker get all over the, the wall? No idea. It was just there. How did, how did that hole get put in the wall? I don't know. It just spontaneously came, came about. It, it was just there. And it's like you ask these questions hoping for a reasonable answer, and then you And so Joseph asks, who's the father? And Mary would say, he was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. And like, can you imagine getting that response? And now in Luke chapter 1, we see that God has sent an angel to Mary to, to announce that she was going to conceive a child through the power of the Holy Spirit, that she would give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. And so Mary would probably share these events with Joseph, and he, he would be like, Mary, this is not a joke. Like, I, I'm serious. Like, who, who is the father? And he'd keep pressing her for the truth, and she would stick to her story. And Joseph would say, stuff like that does not happen. And like, can you blame Joseph? Like, would you believe Mary in this situation? Her explanation is, I'm I'm carrying the son of God. And so like Joseph, he's in a predicament. He's, He's in a bind. The woman that he loves is pregnant, but for obvious reasons, he knows that he's not the father. And, and she's going, well, an angel's appeared to me. And he, he's, he's told me God's doing something that he's never done before. A virgin's going to conceive uh, a child. And I'm going to give birth to the Messiah who's going to save God's people from their sins. Now that expl- explanation, again, it's out there. Like Joseph's going to look at Mary and go like, you're either crazy, you're a lunatic, or you're a liar. Like, there's not really any middle ground here for Joseph. Now, Joseph and Mary, they live in a society that's deeply focused on ideas of honor and shame and family. And so Joseph's kind of like in this difficult situation. And he's looking at it, he's like, I've got got two options. His first option is this. He can um, publicly expose Mary, drag her to court, and if if what Joseph thinks has happened, has happened, that she's been unfaithful to them before they've been married, Joseph has the legal right to call off this marriage. And he can file for divorce, and everybody legally and socially are going to be like, Joseph, you did the right thing. You're in, you're in the right here. And so if, if he does this, Mary's going to be labeled an adulterer and probably worse. And so Joseph, that's his first option. He can make a public example out of Mary of what happens to those who commit kind of adultery and and she's going to suffer the consequences for the time, which at that time was uh, capital punishment. She'd probably be put to death for this. Now Joseph, he cares about Mary and so he doesn't want to see her name or her dragged through the mud and put to death. And so um, even if she... he, she did what he thinks she did. He, he doesn't want to see this happen. And so here's his second option. Joseph's second option is to take advantage of a mosaic law that allowed an unconditional and unexplained kind of divorce or separation at the will of the husband. And so he can sign this bill of divorce, hand it to Mary, and it leaves him the option to state whether or, like whether he not want, whether or not he wants to give the reason for the divorce. He, he can just like Divorce her, no questions asked. Now here's the thing, this is the option that that makes the most sense for Joseph, this quiet divorce. And so Joseph intends to maintain his personal righteousness, yet show grace 
to Mary. And he's, he's not going to have her judged publicly. And again, we can't blame Joseph in this situation. Like if we knew what Joseph knew at the time, we'd probably do the same. And so however much Joseph wants to trust Mary, it's going to take something from God himself to convince Joseph that Mary is telling the truth. But this is where God steps in. And so Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 It says, after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so this angel appears to Joseph and confirms what Mary has told him, that this child is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, we have to understand, like, he's taking what the angel says to him on faith. Like, that, that this is from God. And it's not like they can just simply wait until this child is born, do a paternity test, and go, oh, he in fact is divine, just like God said. Like, all Joseph knows is, like, this child is not mine. And so he's, he's trusting God in this. He's exercising faith. And it might seem crazy, but the reality is we have to live out of this kind of as well. That there are times where all we can do is take what God says on faith. Now, in our times, like some people would say, that's crazy that you'd live a life out of of faith. And they'll go like, I only believe in science and what the facts can tell me and that's how I live my life. If science can't prove it, I don't believe it. Now, I always say, like, I'm not anti-science, but every person, every person lives out of faith. To a certain degree. For example, when it comes to what happens after this life, when, when, we, when we die, people have different theories. And, and some would go, well, it's, that's just the end, that, that, that we're done. There's nothing beyond that. But science, it, it can't prove that there's nothing metaphysical or, or um, spiritual that transcends what we experience. It doesn't have the tools. It can only uh, measure what, what can be touched and, 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 and is tangible or, or whatever you want to say. It's just not equipped. It doesn't have the tools to deal with what is spiritual or metaphysical. And so for the person to go like, man, I believe that after death, that's it. That is just as much of a faith position as it is for the person who says, no, I believe God when he says that there is something after this life, that we either live for eternity with him or apart from him. And so what we have to do is we have to examine the evidence that we have and decide which one makes the most sense, what's most likely and, and science, it just, again, I will say, it does not have the tools to be able to disprove. It will never have the tools to disprove the spiritual realm. Now, this dream that Joseph has, it affirms what Mary has said to him. And so God, God is affirming her explanation. For Joseph, this, this is evidence to, to, to trust God in this. And so the next morning would be this this joyous morning as Joseph comes to Mary and he says, God appeared to me in a dream and he's affirmed what you said. And just that, that would be such a sweet moment for this couple. But what does the angel say to Joseph to do? Bring her home immediately. Like bring her to live with you immediately because they haven't been living together up to this point. Now, it's kind of like, let's, let's, let's have the ceremony today, and, and she's going to come live with you. Why? Because in doing this, Joseph is going to help Mary keep the miraculous conception a secret and avoid scandal. 
Because when people ask about the pregnancy, nobody's going to believe Mary's story that this, is, this child has been conceived through the Holy Spirit. And they don't really want that news getting out there either. Because as you kind of fast forward in the, the Christmas story, there's going to be a king named Herod who's going to want to put the newborn king of the Jews to death because he's a threat to his throne. But there's also another enemy who's, who's looking for this child, Satan. Because this child will grow up to save God's people from their sins. And so Satan wants to put an end to this child before the child can fulfill his destiny. Now, like, I can understand, if you're kind of new to all this, you might look at this story and go, man, I can't believe you guys buy this. Like, this is just like a giant conspiracy theory that grew out of proportion. This couple just came up with this crazy story to cover up this unexpected pregnancy, and it just just became this legend. I can't believe anybody actually buys this. Now, here's what I would say is that history provides us more than enough evidence to believe that Jesus was more than just an average Jewish man, but that he, in fact, was divine, the Son of God. And so we have to examine the evidence that we have, and the evidence, there's plenty of it to support that. Now, there's been a few times um, where I I will go to my wife, and I'll have to start a conversation like this. Shannon, don't be angry, but, and then I proceed to tell her what it is. And like, if you've ever had to start a conversation with that, don't be angry, but, it's a pretty good cue that it's not going to go well. Like, you're going, like, I'm about to give you a reason to be mad at me. Now, I can imagine the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, don't be afraid. And Joseph's like, I wasn't until you said that. Like, now, like, situations are running through my head. And so what does Joseph have to be afraid of? And, I mean, we could, we could write a list. Like, what are people going to say about him? Are shame and his, gonna, is shame going to follow him? Is his reputation ruined because of this situation? People might go, man, Joseph, you're lying about this situation. Or there might be like, man, you're just a fool. I can't believe you bought that from Mary. And like, you're raising another man's child. People, people might um, look at him like, you're, you're risking your own future happiness here, Joseph. And he might feel that himself. He's been given a mission to marry Mary and to trust that this child is the son of God and not from another man. And like, that's easy to say. That is super hard to trust and to believe. But there's something else Joseph's going to be feeling in this moment. Like, I remember um, when our first child, Seth, was born, uh, pulling up to the the curb um, at Grace Maternity uh, to take him home and like to load Shannon and him into the car uh, for the first time. And it was in that moment that the weight of the responsibility kind of hit me. Like, it's like, this is forever. Like, I'm a father. And we're taking this, this, this child whose life can be measured in hours home, and we got to take care of him. Like, I've never done this before. And it's like his well-being, his safety, everything is being entrusted to us. And I'm just going like, guys, you know I don't have that swaddle technique down. Like, I, I'm terrible at this. This child, I don't, I don't know if we can do this. And I'm like, maybe you should let us stay a bit longer just to make sure I've got this down. And like, there, there's, 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 there's some pressure. There's some fears that come along with being a parent. And all of a sudden, God is like, you're going to be the father to this child, this adoptive father. And Joseph's going to feel that. 
But, but here's, here's the other thing. Joseph is being presented with the mission of raising the Son of God who will one day save his people from their sins. Joseph is to raise, he's to protect, he's to nurture God's Son that's, so that Jesus can grow up to save his people. It's like no pressure, Joseph, but this, this mission, it's literally in your hands. Like, don't mess this up. And so there's going to be fear in that. And God, he's calling Joseph to play a key part in the saving story. And Joseph's part, it, it comes at the time when the Savior is born. And this is what we celebrate and what we remember when we, we talk about Advent. Advent simply, it means like um, coming or, or the arrival of a notable person, event, or thing. And so when, we, when churches celebrate Advent, what we're doing is, is, is we're looking back and remembering why Jesus came. That he came as the, the baby in the manger, the promised Messiah, the long-awaited one who would come and save God's people from their sins. But Advent, it's also this time, not just for looking back, but looking ahead and, and to remember why Jesus came to anticipate what's to come because Jesus came, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be with God. And so Advent is a season of celebration and a season of anticipation. It's, it's where we remember that Jesus came, but we prepare ourselves for the truth that he's going to come again. Now, when, when we think of our, our, our Christmas story, again, we you read those books or even a nativity set, if you've got one at home, like who's front and center aside from the, the baby in the manger? Like there's Mary and Joseph. And we're going like, these are stars of the show. They're big players. And we kind of can take some of these, these people in the Bible and we can just like blow them up to larger than life proportions. But what we need to remember, and I always encourage us to do this, is that up to this point, they were average everyday Israelites just waiting to get married. But then God, he comes and he invites them to play an important part in his plan of salvation. Average everyday people who God invites to play a role in his plan of salvation. And God is still inviting average everyday people to play an important role in his plan of salvation. Like while we wait and anticipate Jesus' return, God is inviting Christians, disciples, to participate in his plan of salvation. And just like he entrusts Joseph with something that's precious to him, this, this child, God, God has entrusted you with something that is precious to him. Like we, we tend to go like, ah, the gospel, and it's this, this word that kind of gets stale to us. Like it's just like, we, we, we don't get excited by it, but the word means good news. Like God has given you good news that he's come to save us through his son. And, and he's entrusted you with this good news. And God, he says the same thing to us that he said to Joseph when, they, when he gave him this responsibility. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, maybe you've felt God calling you to do something that scared you. And, and like if you've been a Christian for, for any amount of time, I would say you should at some point feel God's calling you to do something that scares you. And if you haven't, I'd be like, are, are, are you listening to God's voice in your life and what the Spirit might be telling you? Because it, it can be scary. It can be risky to participate in God's plan for the world. God's got a plan for your life. And again, we, we might feel some, some nerves about that. And what, what are some of the fears that we might feel? 
Well, we're living in a cancel culture that's not too warm about the idea of a God who reigns above all and who has a a purpose and and commands for our lives and an expectation of how we're going to live. And so we're going, man, if I go with God, people don't like God that much anymore, at least kind of the biblical God. And so like, if I stick to this, am I going to get canceled? Will I be silenced? We might go, I, I, I fear being rejected by, by family and friends because like what, what, what God says doesn't really go with what they want. For some of us, it might be this. Like, I'm, a, I'm afraid that if I do what God wants me to do, I'm putting my own future happiness at risk because I read the Bible and God tells me I have to serve and sacrifice and love the unlovable and even my enemy and all those things just kind of feel like they're going to get in the way of my joy. doesn't seem like it's going to lead to a happy life. Now Jesus, he, he reminds us constantly, if you read the Gospels, that to be a disciple is not something for the faint of heart. Like in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus says, like, the road is narrow. It's, it's difficult. It's hard, this, this road that leads to eternal life. And we, we've got to get it out of our, idea, our, our mind that, that being a disciple is, is something that's going to be easy and, and, and safe. But, but God doesn't call his people to what is easy. He calls his people to what is essential. And what God calls us to do, again, is going to involve risk. And, and here's why God, like one of the commands God gives his people over and over again, 365 times in the Bible, it's almost as if he's trying to make a point, is do not be afraid. Do not fear. Again, one for every day of the year. So why, why should we not fear when there seems like there's plenty out there to fear? I mean, I just gave you a short list. It's because God is a God who comes to save his people. He's a God who comes to be with us, and he is more committed to this plan of salvation than you will ever understand. And if you have felt God's call in your life and you responded in faith to do something that takes you beyond your comfort zone, you've probably discovered that trusting God, despite your fears, is actually what brings joy. That, that's what actually kind of, you realize that this is what you are intended to do. Now, if we're going to follow God in obedience, our plans will have to change because it's, it's, it's God's plan of salvation. It's not our plan of salvation. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. It says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, Matthew is saying, that God prophesied, or through a prophet, God spoke. So through the prophet Isaiah, God spoke and promised that a Savior would come, but it had not yet happened. Now, now God's people, the Jewish people, had a relationship with God, and they knew their history well. And they could go, God made this promise, and we see that God came through on his promise. And he made another promise, and he came through on his promise, and he made another promise, and he came through on that promise. So they, they know God is good to his word. And so when God makes a promise, it's like it's already done, But if it hasn't been fulfilled yet, it's not yet. And so they're living in this time of already, but not yet. And so they know a Savior's going to come. And Joseph, he's told, you got to name this child Jesus. 
Now, Jesus Christ is not the first guy to ever have the name Jesus. Like, that name's not original to Jesus. Plenty of Jewish parents would name their child Jesus or Joshua as a symbolic hope for the Lord's promise to send salvation through a Messiah who would um, purify his people, who would uh, save them from their oppressors. Now, I want to stop here for a second. Like, a lot of the time in Scripture— you'll see this, this kind of word that's been prophesied, and maybe your Bible kind of bolds those letters. And you go, like, why, why, are they, why is the Bible so big on prophecy? Why is this important? Well, God could work in human history without giving us any advance notice of what he's doing. I mean, he's God. He could do that. But here's what God likes to do. He, he likes to get, announce his plans so that we can be aware of their importance and prepare ourselves accordingly prepare ourselves to respond accordingly when they happen. And so the angel, he's, he's pointing to the specific theme, that this Jesus has come down from heaven and that he's here to save God's people from their sins. Now the apostle Peter, after Jesus has been crucified and he's been resurrected, he preaches this sermon in Acts chapter 4, verse 11. And it says, this Jesus, and so here's, here's another prophecy, is the stone rejected by you builders which has become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And so Jesus is is the rejected stone, or some translations would say he's a stumbling stone. Because most people, when when they thought of the Messiah, the Jewish people are going, okay, God's going to send a military commander. And he's going to come in riding on this, this massive, powerful horse, and he's going to have armies behind him. And man, the Romans, who are kind of the ones oppressing the Jewish people at the time, they're going, the Messiah is going to put them on the run, put them to death. We're going to be at the top again. But then Jesus shows up, this Messiah, and he, he, he comes in the arms of the ones that he's going to save. And he doesn't grow up to be this powerful military commander. He grows up to be a rabbi. This, this man of peace. And so people are looking at him going, man, this guy can't be the Messiah. Where's the military commander? But scripture, it makes it abundantly clear that our greatest enemy is, is not another army. It's, it's not a person. It's not flesh and blood. Our greatest problem, our greatest enemy is sin and death. And this is what Jesus came to deal with. He paid our debt and so Jesus alone is worthy of, of being worshipped as God. Like, we all worship something. You're either worshipping money or popularity or influence or platform or another person. You, you, you worship something. You build your life around something and go, this, this is what I'm going to worship and serve, and this is what, my functional God. But here's the thing. When it comes down to it, when you come to face your greatest enemy, can your functional God hold up? Money's not going to save you from sin. When you stand before God, it's not going to be like, I'm pretty popular. Does that count for anything? It's it's not going to matter. And so Jesus is the only Savior who saves, the only God who saves. So God invites us to change our plans and to focus on Jesus. So Joseph, he obeys God, and he names the baby Jesus. He trusts God. He puts his hope in Jesus And Jesus is the one in whom all of the promises of God are going to find their fulfillment. And so as Christians, we live in this time of already, but not yet. God has made us plenty of promises, and we're waiting. 
And many of them, most of them, all of them pretty much, will find their fulfillment when Jesus returns and we are with him. They lay in the future. Now, that, that word's important, future. Because what we believe about our future, that controls how we experience our present. Like, every one of us are hope-based creatures. We are future-oriented beings. Like, right now, many of us are, are looking three weeks into the future going, I can't wait till Christmas Day. I'm going to celebrate with my family. Or maybe there's some gift that you're expecting is going to be under the tree. You're looking forward to that. Or maybe it's, you're looking forward to a, a future marriage or, or something. We are future-oriented beings. Now, here's the thing. Every person has a need to understand themselves as being a part of a story that is going somewhere. You need to know that your life is moving towards something, that, the, that there's a purpose to it. Otherwise, you will quickly be all like, my life is meaningless. If, if, there's, if this isn't moving towards something, your life becomes meaningless and you feel hopeless. And this is the problem that a lot of people and our, our culture just is experiencing. Like, as a generation, we live in a time that has more comfort and money and, like, medicine and technology um, and, and luxury than, like, any previous generations. If, like, even, like, take, like, 50 years ago and they look at how we're living, it's, like, such a difference, such a difference. But yet our generations are feeling more hopeless and feeling more despair than any other previous generations. I'm like... This statistic blew me away. Between 1999 and 2014, the suicide rate across the board has gone up by 24%. Like, you, you can't tell me that we're not a culture that doesn't feel despair and hopeless. But when, when you write God out of the narrative and, and you're just going like, this is it, this is everything, you just end up in a box in the dirt, that just leads to despair. Because you know deep inside that you were meant for something more. You feel this calling on your life. And when this world doesn't deliver on that, then it can't deliver on that. Again, you feel hopeless. You feel despair. But here's what Advent does. It declares that Jesus came to save us so that we could be with God forever. And that is your purpose. That is what you were created for, is, is that you would have relationship with God. And this is your story. This is where you fall in the story, that your life is leading to somewhere, that, that you're going to be with God, and God will be with us. And so that's what I hope you see in the Christmas story, is that God loves you. Like God desires to be with you. And when Jesus comes again, this time of already but not yet will be over and all of God's promises will be fulfilled. Tim Keller, he, he writes, most people sit in today's joy for seeing the coming sorrows. They think their, their worst days are ahead. But Christians sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. In Christ, we know our best days are ahead. And so where have you placed your hope? Where, where's your confidence? Like, again, God says this story is leading somewhere. So I want to encourage you to put your hope in Jesus. Like I said, Romans chapter 8, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 38. It says, for I am persuaded, this is the apostle Paul, 
that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so why can't anything destroy the Christian's hope? Why can't anything separate us from the love of God? It's because our hope is not grounded in this world. Our, our hope is outside of the confines of this world. And so it doesn't matter what Omicron or Omnicron or whatever it is is happening. It doesn't matter what the supply chains look like. It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like or the financial forecast looks like. Your hope is secure because it's in Jesus' hands. It rests in God's arms. And so I've said God has announced his plans so that we might be aware of their importance and we can respond accordingly. And and God has put it out there for us. And if you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I want to invite you to do that today because God is announcing it so that we can know and respond appropriately. And so if you want to give your life to Christ, you can do that today. You can speak to me after the service. You can speak to Pastor Greg. If you're online, you can fill out a Connect card and and somebody will follow up with you on that. You can visit the Welcome Center. But here's the call for us this Advent season. Allow the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done to change the way you think, how you live, and in what you hope.